Welcome, Baruchim Habaim, to Awakening, Torah, Musar, Mindfulness. The Institute for Holiness, Kehilat Musar, Mindfulness, is wonderful weekly public offering where we look at the weekly Torah Hebrew Bible portion, our or double parasha, eh, where we look at it from the lenses of Musar and also mindfulness coming from the Dharma of Theravada Buddhism and Musar coming from Judaism. Spiritual disciplines, paths of wisdom, paths towards holiness that give us insights and wholesomeness and skills in which to be on this path and live this life as best as we can in service of others as we serve God. I am Rabbi Chasio Uriel Steinbauer, founder and director of the Institute for Holiness, Hamachon de Kedusha. Delighted to have you as we you get to see the, the ending of our day here in Israel. Our prayers are with everyone who are really experiencing much harm and suffering, both internal and external, at this awful warfare that continues to go on between Israel and Gaza. So holding everyone in our hearts and minds today. It also is a special day for all of our followers and viewers in uh, the United States who observe a day called Mother's Day, Yom Ima, Imachot. We don't observe this here in Israel, but I want to wish you all, all the mothers out there or mothers-to-be who wish they were mothers or anyone who used to be a mother, just sending you our love and strength and whatever you need today. So it is Sunday, May 14th, 2023 at 7.30 p.m. Israeli time, 12.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. As you see here, we have one of our guests in the house here. This is Mitzi. You can say hello. <laughs> and today we will be covering the Torah portion from yesterday, from Etmol on Shabbat. And the date then was May 13, 2023. It was the Toth the 22nd of ER, the Hebrew month of ER, and Toth Shen Pei Gimel, the, month, uh, the year, the Hebrew year of 5783. We had a double Parsha. It was actually my son's birthday, double Parshiot. Bahar Bechuko Tai. And we combined them. And this, these are the end of. The Sidra, the Sefer Vaikra of Leviticus. It brings the whole book of Leviticus to close. And of course, as tradition, if you uh, aren't aware of it, at the closing of this uh, Parsha, it is tradition to stand up in synagogue and to say, May we return to you in, in learning and in strength. Uh, to continue our learning as we do in the yearly cycle every every Shabbat. So um, before we get, begin, we always share our kavanot, our intentions for today's practice, which is very important. Uh, we begin all of our spiritual discipline, our practice with intentions, with kavanot, because they actually help hone our uh, attention, known in Hebrew as teshumat lev, I know some people feel and, and have from a, either a Baraita or somewhere in the Babylonian Gemara that Kavanah can mean both intention and attention. 
But for the sake in Buddhist practice and mindfulness, they're two different things. And they simultaneously rise and fall together. So today, may we merit really bringing this, these intentions right here to really hone our intention on our learning and practice today. So we say that before doing acts of caring for the self, for caring for acts of, for others on behalf of others, and to strengthen our relationship with the divine. We see this as a triangle threefold, the strength of which we're taking refuge, of course, in God and the Buddha's teachings, and also in the Torah and the teachings, uh, of course, of the Dharma and Musar, and then of course, the Vad, the Sangha community, the Kahila, the Kahal together here uh, all over the world. Uh, strengthening each other. We see this as a, uh, this practice together today, right now, as an act of radical self-care. And that care in turn allows us to have the centeredness and the skills and the wisdom to be able to be there for others. And that's how we serve God. So we say, this is something I'm doing to strengthen my own soul in order to be of benefits to others in the future. And this is something I'm doing to strengthen my relationship to others so I can be a better conduit of God's good to others when they need me. And finally, this is something I'm doing to strengthen my relationship with the creator so I can be a better conduit of God's good to others when they need me. So let's really take in those kavanot, those intentions, maybe merit fulfilling them on behalf of all beings. So for those of you who aren't watching on video, uh, you heard me read those Kava notes uh, for the podcast, wherever you're joining us right now, live streaming on our YouTube channel, please subscribe. Uh, do follow our blog on the website. Join us here on Zoom, especially if you want to come with your own questions. Uh, that we'll have time for at the end of about your practice, anything you need support around in your practice and learning of Musar mindfulness. And of course, uh, do subscribe to our newsletter off of the uh, website of Kahilat Musar. And um, do consider becoming a member to become a part of this amazing community so we can continue to support one another and grow. All right, let's jump in. Obviously, it's a double parsha. We're not going to get to everything. We don't even get to everything in one, but let's give a quick summary. And then I'll get to share with you quite a delight that happened to me while preparing for this uh, session today. So in Eretz Israel, in the land of Israel, which is where I live and where I'm dwelling right now, Shemitah, the year of release, happens every seven years in our Torah portion. And during the seventh year, no one can work the land and crops. It becomes public property. Technically, it kind of always was public property in the sense that it was always God's land. But it's even more so in that seventh year. Anyone can come and eat. There's also covered in the store portion, the, the Yovel, excuse me, is in the 50th year. And this is when the rules of Shemitah apply, continue to apply as they, as, they, as they do in the 49th year. Plus, all the land gets returned 
to its original owners, to its original clan who own that uh, particular parcel or land. It's also when slaves are released from slavery. Even before the Yovel, if your relative actually has uh, the financial means uh, and is able to help another relative who's actually in financial trouble that had to sell their land, and that person, that relative with the financial means is actually um, obligated to try to help them buy back that land. It's almost like a, an obligation of uh, pay it forward. God had given you uh, financial means that year and you should use it to redeem your relative, redeem the land for them. It is a process called geula, which means redemption. There's also a mitzvah not to overcharge for a sale, a sale that's happening, a transaction of land between people. If someone's in debt to you, you are to treat them with compassion. This is all covered in these two parshiot, two Torah portions. God promises many brachot blessings if B'nai Israel follow the mitzvot and actually some frightening punishments if they don't in a section known as tochecha, which means rebuke. God will remember God's promises to our ancestors and God will never punish the people too much. Meaning there's an expectation that sin will happen, which is in some ways the nature of the human being, nature of human beings also to experience suffering, which we might say is a little bit about sin, right? It's not living uh, the wise, wholesome path. And so, um, uh, the, the concept is that God uh, will cause consequence um, and the ability of the people to recognize that they've done wrong and to return, to do teshuva. There's always an opening, always a petak to return. And this is stated here. Finally, Sefer Vayikra, our Leviticus, closes with a discussion of donations to the Mishkan, the sanctuary in the desert. And one of those donations is known as ma'aser, giving a one-tenth of your harvest or newborn animals. So that's essentially what's covered in our Torah portion for this week. I think I want to say a few more summary words here that basically, for instance, chapter 25, which really covers the sabbatical year and the jubilee, which is the yovel and the shemitah is the only code of practice on the subject of land tenor in ancient Israel, okay? That is actually preserved in the Torah. And this unique collection of laws and commandments, it actually governs the permanent rights of land over owners and the legalities of sale and mortgaging the land essentially. And then there's laws obviously regarding indebtedness and uh, indenture, a system of repaying debts through one's labor. And finally, the sabbatical year when the fields are to lie fallow uh, is known as the sabbatical year in English. It's after a cycle of seven sabbatical years, even every half century is to be the jubilee year. Okay, um, so that's that summary. I want to see if there was anything else I wanted to say to you before I delve in. So what are we going to pay attention to here? So... <laughs> I want immediately when you go into this text, you should be you should be noticing that 
there are laws about land and land ownership and sell and selling. And then immediately you should question, what does the society, what do our ancestors pay attention to? What does, what's important to God and our ancestors? What, what, what's really behind these laws and practices? Okay. And you might have thought, God says, this is my land. You are simply like a Geravitoshav. You're simply a stranger and a, 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 a permanent resident. You're a resident of the land. You're not the owner. It, it is God's land. And um, that, um, that essentially you, you, you might have assumed, and I, I definitely would have assumed this, that if I'm going to read about any treatment of how you're supposed to treat the land or um, of relationship and connection guarding these laws and, and the way of being in, in this uh, in this system and in, even in the world today, you would think that it's all about our relationship to God, how we're going to treat God, how we are to serve God. And it, there's a su surprising shift. It, it, and it's not so surprising if you've been following along. What do I mean by that? We started obviously with Bereshit and Shemot with this concept of fear of God. Our ancestors, particularly Avraham, Avram also before he became Avraham, the midwives, Shifra and Pua, and others noticing there's no fear of God in this land. I think even Yitzhak uses that language. And it's this acknowledgement that the society in which there's no fear of God is one that has no rule of law. There's no moral compass. There's no understanding right from wrong. If there is an understanding, there's no respect for it and no living by it. And so you're kind of, it's like every, every human to their own, like that, that every man for himself, this sense of like, I have to watch my back. I have to lie. I have to manipulate. I have to work to survive because there is no fear of God here. So we leave these individual stories to all of a sudden have law, a rule of law given by God through the Torah, that suddenly there's going to be rule of law. There's going to be a knowledge of right and wrong, of pure, of impure, of evil and good, of consequence, of punishment, of reward and punishment. These are very ancient, uh, from ancient Israel themes, right? Uh, that um, That's going to all be encompassed in this community and how they're supposed to live. So it's basically taking the concept of fear of law, a uh, fear of God, excuse me, and um, applying it on a, a communal and global level in a sense, okay? So um, what happens in this, in this uh, Torah portion is all of a sudden you have these rules of land and how people are gonna dwell on the land that belongs to God and how they're going to make sure that nobody ends up in a system of poverty of intergenerational, transgenerational trauma of poverty that's institutionalized that no one will ever get out, right? That would, that's what would happen if you didn't have the Yovel, that someone's land would never be returned to them. You would essentially have a class of people who are always indentured servants or slaves. We know societies like this. We've know them either from history books or some people still live in those type of societies or they exist. So the Torah has this huge shift that you are going to be human. 
you're going to live with laws and land. Some of it's going to be messy and difficult, but there's going to be this overarching right, wholesome, right? Moral and ethical, skillful, wise way of living in this rule of law, this fear of God that gets institutionalized in law of how you're going to treat your neighbor, your family, your clan, your people, and onward, the people who aren't your people who happen to be dwelling with you. So there's a real deep concern with the other. How are you going to treat one another and then make sure that it is upright and moral and ethical? Okay, it's surprising in some ways because you could have imagined the laws could have been just about how you take care of the land because it's God's land, how you take care of God and how you respond. But it shifts and God shifts that on purpose in order for you to understand your intent, your intention, your kavanah, and your attention, your teshuma talev, need to be on the person in front of you is created in the image and the likeness of the divine, on the community then in which you live, on the people in which you share a nation and land with. That is our achrayut, our responsibility. So let's look here. This is really intense, okay? I have to share with you. I normally don't share things like this. They don't come to me often. I had a moment of niviyut, of prophecy. I really believe it. I don't normally say things like this. So forgive me if it sounds uh, uh, not at all like a litvak, like a musar at all, but I had a moment of grace. I call it grace, lesson prophecy from Hashem. I was studying this text. And I said, what are, you, what are you getting at? What are you trying to teach us? What's really behind this, right? I really talk to God when I'm learning these texts. What's really going on here? And then it hit me. It hit me. It came down like that immediately. Listen to this. Listen. The land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. Okay, it should be Shabbat Ladonai, right? Either you speak to the children of Israel, say to them, when you come to the land which I give you, you should keep a Sabbath to the Lord, right? And that you should know that it's the earth is really the Lord's with his Hashem's. And that what's behind it, the Torah is so intelligent in the sense that it really understands um, the nature of the human being is to um, to attach or to have aversion, right? The hindrances, the veiling factors, we're, we're drawn to them. Um, and so we're possessed by strong feelings of uh, proprietorship, of ownership, of holding on, right? And um, this sensation that in mine is always like fraught with the danger, whether it's real in the head, real uh, out in the streets or in the farm, or it's uh, in our head, right? And so to counter it, the Torah emphasizes the land is a gift from God to Israel, right? In order to remind us human beings that the power and the might of our hand, right, is really a gift from God. Now, let's go back. This is where the gift from Hashem came. I realize this text is in, and these laws are all a tikkun, a repair for Kayan's murder of his brother, Hevel. 
Now, what do I, what do I mean by that? Let's look, let's go back to that case. We have our first brothers, first brothers recorded in the Torah and history, right? Who come and are going to till, one's going to till the land, one's going to take care of animals, right? They're, they're, they're out there, they're in the world, they can't be in God Aiden anymore. Consequences of uh, having Adam and Chava as parents. We all have to live with the consequences of our parents. That's one of the kind of universal laws that we all have to work on accepting. And in Kayan, his offering is simply the fruit of the land, right? The fruit of the land, that's it. Not the bechirot, not the, not the choicest fruit, not the first fruits, not the best fruits, just the fruit of the land. It's a beautiful thing. He has intention that he wants to give a mincha, an offering to Hashem. Okay, let's, let's hold it for him at his intention. Then you have uh, Hevel, right? He comes with uh, the firstling, the, the choicest of the animal. Okay, he, he with kavana and attention, picks the, the best of it, the best that Hashem had given him. Because it actually wasn't his to, to even to even to begin with, he takes the best that Hashem gave him of the animal and goes and offer it. And his offering is accepted, where Kayan's is not. And people are perplexed by this. So lots of people try to like, what really happened? Is it simply that he didn't bring the best and the first of the fruits? What's really going on? And suddenly we realize what's really going on is tied to the Shemitah year. It's tied to the Yovel. It's tied to this concept that the earth, at that moment when Cain kills his brother, the earth was forced to drink human blood for the first time, according to our narrative and the Torah. The earth, which belongs to Hashem, had to cry out and take the blood of a human being, which it never meant to or wanted to. And the earth itself from that moment forward has never had a rest from humans toiling on it and murdering other humans and spilling blood. From that moment forward, all the way until this moment of giving the law of the Torah, Bahar Sinai, Adhar Sinai, there's the, the earth had no rest. And all of a sudden we are to observe this. We are to observe and be reminded that that earth that earth, has, <laughs> that earth is God's. That earth was never meant to swallow human blood, spilled in murder. That earth was never uh, to be toiled and toiled and toiled and toiled and never given rest, a Shabbat to Adonai, to God. And then what does he say when he murders his brother? He says, I am not my brother's keeper. What? Really? That's actually your whole reason why you exist, Kayan. That's your whole purpose. And that's our whole purpose. Don't get lost along this path of everything that can distract us in this world. This is what these laws of the Shemitah and the Yovel are teaching us, that not only is it God's land, that we are remembered to that, remember that humility, right? But that we are our brother's keeper. 
we are to make sure that our brother doesn't sell the land or sister unless they absolutely have to. And even if they have to, that it gets released back to them after the Yovel, that they never end up in a system of poverty, that they can never have their ancestral clan land, right? We are our brother's keeper. We are to be aware that there isn't lifelong, endless uh, cycles of slavery where they never get out, right? And they thank God we don't have slavery right now, but there are places where slavery exists. But the concept is not just locked in ideas of plan ownership of land that might have existed right, a while ago, or, um, or uh, the, you know, letting slaves go. It's the equivalent today. Where are we locking? Where are we allowing institutional systems that are keeping people locked in a cycle of generation after generation of poverty and indentured servitude? as a form of slavery. Where are we not waking up that we are our brother's keeper and we should not be allowing this to happen? We should be releasing them. We should be releasing them because God wants us to release them because the land is God. The land needs to rest. People who have to, you know, and in some ways be enslaved to working multiple jobs forever also need a rest, need a shift, need to know that they're going to be taken care of. And I realized that this whole set of laws is really the anti-Kayan, the anti-Cain. If we're talking about in English, Cain and Abel, Cain and Hevel, it is the anti-Cain story. And it's very important that we realize that, um, that we are doing a tikkun. We are saying we're not we're not Cain. We're not going to stand idly by and murder our brother by never releasing them from slavery or by never releasing them from indentured servitude or never releasing them to, so they can never own land again, right? We're not going to be that system and turn away while the earth is crying out, okay? And um, this is very, very important. Um, ah, there's a couple of more points I wanted to touch on here with you. It says right here, right? Uh, Pasuk 17 in chapter 25, right? Um, let me see here. Velotanu ish et amito yarenta. Do not wrong one another. Don't even set out. Don't even allow laws and traditions and practices to happen that are not skillful, wise, and wholesome, that, that they harm others, right? That set out to do wrong. Do not wrong one another. But fear your Lord. Now, fear here is from yira. We've touched upon this verb. There's no English equivalent. Yira is really here in fear and awe, this reverence, this combination of the two. And it's essentially saying, remember your moral compass. Remember the rule of law. It's like God as a verb, God as a state, God is energy, right? God is consequence. God is the path towards holiness, you live this upright, you live this ways, right? 
it is this really living out this uh, energy a fear of God is a, is a positive, more upright path. And um, it really keeps us away from harm and suffering of wronging each other, all right? So that's very important. Now, this idea, it repeats over and over again in the Torah with emphasis, and it's really characteristic, characteristic excuse me, of the holiness code of, that we find in Leviticus as we're saying goodbye to Leviticus. It's to really extort our ancestors, Israeli people, to act out of an ethical obligation, a moral obligation, this, this internal moral compass we call fear of God, right? Especially in matters that don't lend themselves easily to enforcement, okay? And if we're going to see this as like, okay, obviously in the ancient Israel and the Torah, there's real this concept of um, reward and punishment. But if we want to see it from the lens of Musa mindfulness today, this is the gift that God has given us to be able to have more insight and see things. We realize that this, this idea that, that God sees all, which is karma, it's consequences for our behavior. There's the law of cause and effect, right? God sees all. And therefore will punish even secret, secret transgressions, right? It's, it's this idea back from my answers that we resist this temptation to get away from sin and from other crime. Well, today we know this. We don't even need this idea of reward and punishment. We live it out and we see it. When we are not living the path, we know the consequences of our behavior. We cause harm and suffering to ourselves. We cause harm and suffering to others. It is the, the law of cause and effect of karma of consequence, all right? And that is enough as we begin to mature and develop and practice this path and our mindfulness, we wake up to this and we internalize this and accept it. I don't longer, I no longer need to head down that same path with the whole and, and fall in it. I know. And, and we call that here in Torah and Musar God, right? We call that God, we call that a consequence we call that punishment we call it a deep awareness and alignment with the universe that we know what is sin and we we stay away from it we, we run away from it right um so let me conclude this part by just saying that um yeah um just want to see if there's anything i wanted to add to you that to understand what our ancestors have been trying to impart from us is this concept that the presence, two things, the presence and nearness of God, right, of Hashem, is the vital concern, and it's contingent upon the behavior of our ancestors and upon us. So today we might say the presence and nearness of the divine within, of that which is upright and moral, what we want to be living what we want to be sharing in society with each other, right? That is contingent upon our, it's, it's, not, it's like, it's contingent might even not be strong enough of a word. It's so dependent on how we behave. And that might've been the surprising thing because you might've thought that this is all going to be about God and how we're going to either sin or wrong God or not wrong God. And God keeps bringing it back to, 
It's how you behave with each other. It's how you behave with the other human being, right? It's so important. Uh, it's, it's really profound what God keeps trying to teach us over and over again. So I'm going to close with one last thought and we'll move into our mindfulness meditation. Um, that, um, that these very two uh, important mitzvot, the, the land of a sabbatical year every seventh year and declaring the Yovel, the Jubilee every 50 years, that um, that it really is a Shabbat Adonai. It is a Shabbat to God, as I said earlier, a, a stopping, right? Um, it's a stopping in creation and product, pro productivity. And a lot of people see it tied to the Mita, Mida the, in Musar practice of Bitachon, of trust in God, right? That you're going to trust in God, that, that everything's going to be taken care of if you follow these rules and law. I think it's something so much more profound than just uh, trust, okay? Um, we take it back to the Kayan story, right? That um, Kayan is the, the, the extreme, the hyperbole example of how we are not to be. It's someone who even might have upright or right intention that wants connection with the divine, but sees the, the land as his own, uh, brings whatever the land produces, right? That he produced some, some type of fruit, not the choices, not the first, and, and, and offers it. And then is surprised that God doesn't accept it, doesn't want it as a gift. It's a mincha, doesn't want it as a gift, right? God is saying, you forgot that it's my land. You forgot that what I helped you produce and allowed you to produce from the land, the fruit, is mine, and you come with the simple fruit, right? The gift is 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 rejected, and and um, what's really important about about what's seeing this from a Mida perspective is one, it's about anava, about proper humility of really knowing your place in the universe really internalizing that with deep intention that, wow, this really isn't my land. This is all a gift. It's here and can be taken away. It's here today, can be, and probably will be gone tomorrow or in the future because of the nature of impermanence, which is one of the laws of the universe of way of being. If we have the laws of the universe of cause and effect, of consequence, of karma, you have impermanence. All that is will eventually be ephemeral, right? It is here and it will be gone, including us human beings, right? Here. So it's really tied to this deep alignment with the universe, with the Almighty, with God, that we are one, that uh, there's this concept of non-self, right? In the sense of deep humility, uh, really an alignment of knowing our place and, and, and also of hakarata tov, of recognizing the good, the gratitude, right? The deep gratitude that um, we can be here, that we can trust that we're going to be taken care of by our clan and family. May we all 
experience and feel that and have that. This is what the Torah teaches. This is the model. And that if we don't have that, because God forbid some of us don't have that, then there will be a system of law in place based on the fear of God that will release it so that we and our children and grandchildren can return to the land, right? And um, if you think of back to what I said, the human beings inclination, right? Sometimes our, our fear-based self, our lower self, our lower soul can be really inclined to grasping, to clinging, a sense of separation and disconnection um, that uh, we tend to take up more space than we're supposed to. It's too little humility. It leans towards arrogance. We say it's our land. It's my fruit. Maybe that was even going on with Cayenne. I'm going to give some fruit, but I'm not going to give the best in all of it or the first. That's for me. Who knows? Who knows what his drive and inclination was? All we know is there was a lot of reactivity on his part when it wasn't accepted as a gift. It's like, it's, and talk about arrogance there. He expected simply because he was giving a gift that it should be accepted. There's something really profound there. Uh, Really kind of actually scary and dominating. It's a red flag. It's a sign that this person's not in alignment. Um, So honestly, uh, you know, if we look at the midot that are involved and that really trigger us, the awareness point, right? The nikudah bechira, what we call in, in Musar choice point, this awareness point needs to really have us reflect on these parshiot and say, where am I really being triggered here, right? And uh, and um, what is my responsibility to others? So um, I've touched a little bit on the midot. I think that are particularly here, um, really having that uh, profound balance, humility to be in alignment, and then what's expected of us. Betachon, trust in God, is there obviously too a real awakening to the good uh, really helps us uh, stay in the present moment with our with our attention so that we can live out our intention. Uh, so this real uh, mida of gratitude as it gets translated in English, it's really um, recognizing the good, awakening to God's good in this world. And so to really uh, internalize uh, both the worldviews of Musar and mindfulness, this real and uh, understanding that we are essentially the Gerim Vetoshavim, these strangers and temporary uh, residents of God's, we're just passing through. We, we are impermanent, right? This beautiful energy that we are here, we give, and we give to our children and grandchildren and move on. And so um, may it be so. Um, so take this time this week to practice waking up to the good, seeing uh, where you can bring more of this sense of justice and care to your uh, immediate family, extended family and community, and uh, really trying to live out this uh, this heart of Torah that I think is uh, quite beautiful and important to us.
and um, really just tapping into and internalizing this unfolding process of life, which is so unfolding of our relationship with God, right? So um, continue, obviously, with your daily meditation practice to be awake to the real embodied felt sense of what's going on here. Um, developing those spiritual muscles of savlanut, of patience, and gavura, this really inner strength to maintain our boundaries so that we're not uh, clinging and we're not also aversion pushing away, not being uh, veiled with the hindrances. Um, so that's my sharing today. Uh, I hope uh, this... Uh, really was in alignment with bringing God's good to others. Let's move into our mindfulness meditation now so that we can begin practicing together. Always remember there are four positions, postures in mindfulness meditation. And that one is not more privileged or better than the other. It's not as if sitting has some monopoly or gets more points. Uh, you can have your sitting meditation, you can have standing meditation, you can have walking, literally just back and forth. We're not walking to somewhere or lying down. All of them are valid and important and, and, and needed. If I, I, I encourage you to practice all four and to try them, right? And to uh, really move forward with those practices. Um, you want to assume an upright posture, dignified because you are created in the image and likeness of the divine. You have that divine spark within. You can just put your hand there to feel deep in the soul. We'll begin by closing our eyes if you feel safe. If not, just keep your eyes open, lower your gaze. We'll begin with three deep cleansing breaths. Inhalation. And exhalation. This time inviting full awareness into this present moment, into the full sense and felt sense of the body. Inhalation, even raising the shoulders. And exhalation. Uh -huh. Letting them fall, let a smile emerge if it's natural to you. Inhalation. Ah, so good to be alive and to be here right now together in this moment, sharing the oxygen that God has provided us. What a gift to be alive. Awaken to the good and give thanks. So let's tap into that. Let's tap into that shafa, that amazing chain, that grace coming to us from God, flowing through the world, through us and out us. We are vessels to pass on God's good to others. So allow yourself to feel that flow from the top of your head, the oxygen entering, flowing down your head, down your throat, down your chest, down your torso to your sit bones, down your legs, really feeling that oxygen flow through the body, 
knowing that there is a body. Down your calves and your shins to the toes and even out the toes, bringing your full attention to this moment. Breathing in the body, breathing out the body. Allowing your breath to settle to its own natural rhythm. Following the following phrases of gratitude, of humility. I'm created in the image and likeness of the divine. My purpose is to bring God's good to others. I am capable. I am holy and worthy simply because I am a child of God. I have those gifts to give others. I will not be clouded by the distractions in life. I will not be thrown off the path with the hindrances. I will practice. I will make wholesome choices. I am capable of wise, skillful choices. I am capable of having space between the match and the fuse. I respond, I do not react. And if I do react, if I do cause harm and suffering, God forbid, I return. I practice teshuva, I take responsibility. Repeat these phrases throughout your practice, following the meditation. Now we turn these gifts to others. May you know that you are capable. May you know that you're created in the image and likeness of the divine. May you know that you have gifts to give others. May you know that you have space between the match and the fuse. 
may you know that you can respond and not react. May you know that you are loved. May you know that you are a child of God. May you know that when you fall off the path, when you sin, when you cause harm and suffering, that I will be here waiting for your return. May you know you can practice teshuva, repentance and return. That God has built this into the universe for all of us. This is our birthright. This path towards holiness, this practice of musar mindfulness, our connection with the divine and our ability to always return. We sit in a minute of silence together and I will ring the bells to finish our practice today. If you had your eyes closed, please gently and slowly open them, taking the time to let the light naturally filter in so it's not so alarming to be soft and slow and gentle, the way that we are to treat our soul and each other. Thank you to God. Thank you for you and your practice. Thank you for all of our practices, taking refuge here together. Such a gift. So grateful for all of you and your support and your sponsorship. Please give your donations today through our website, through PayPal. Reach out if you don't know how. So grateful to be able to offer this public offering on behalf of all beings. Stay strong, sending strength to strength. Thank you for today.